Thank you for downloading from the Great Commission Society. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about our global ministry and team at www.greatcommissionsociety.com. A missionary decided to give a goat to the tribal leader as a gesture of kindness in order to build the trust needed to share the gospel. In return, the tribal leader gave the missionary his walking stick. Without the goat milk, the missionary became weaker and weaker over the next couple of days. Using the walking stick he got from the tribal leader, he walked into the village to purchase some goat milk. When he offered to buy the goat's milk, his money was not accepted. Instead, he was told that he was entitled to anything in the village that he wanted. When the missionary asked why, the villagers explained that the walking stick he held belonged to their leader, and it was an item of tribal insignia. Possessing that staff entitled him to everything in the village. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 32 tells us, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, since God gave us his one and only Son, we can be confident that he will give us everything else that will bring true joy to our lives. The world has 195 countries with thousands of ethnic subgroups that bring both challenges and opportunities for evangelism. What key questions should we be asking when considering cross-cultural evangelism? Hello and welcome to our GCS podcast with author and evangelist Tony Anthony. In the past, it was only Christian missionaries going overseas to preach the gospel who had to understand cross-cultural evangelism. But today, most of us don't have to go far to encounter other cultures. While the Christian message does not change, the methodology for evangelism must change from culture to culture in order for the message to be clearly communicated. This raises some important questions. Can we do evangelism without understanding the culture? And what do we need to understand about a person's cultural background to communicate the gospel with them in a meaningful and relevant way? Let's join Tony as he examines the way cultural background impacts our understanding of the gospel and shares how we can cut through all manner of cultural and religious barriers. Today I'd like us to look at cross-cultural evangelism. Now our global team of evangelists at GCS have been amazed and humbled to witness conversions of people from across the world. People from religious and non-religious backgrounds, traditional and progressive, Muslim and Hindu, young and old. So what's been the key to unlocking the hearts of these people from such an array of cultural and religious backgrounds? Well, the answer is, there's no cross-cultural key at all. In our evangelism, we don't do anything differently here than we would anywhere else. Our evangelistic methods are singularly uncreative. However, to suggest that some people are easier to convert than others is foreign to actual scripture. All of us, by nature, are born in sin. And so in our evangelism, we must preach the gospel, pray for the seeds to grow, and wait on the Spirit of God to move. There's no key into a spiritual morgue, but this doesn't mean that cultural diversity is irrelevant to evangelism. Most of the world's cities are becoming more and more ethnically diverse. You know, the world has 195 countries with thousands of ethnic subgroups that bring both challenges and opportunities for evangelism. And so here are five lessons that we've learned as a team over the past 20 years of cross-cultural evangelism. The first one, it's the importance to understand cultural backgrounds. It's very helpful in our cross-cultural evangelism to understand how someone's cultural background impacts their understanding of sin. Christian anthropologists classify cultures into three different sin response types. 
The first is guilt cultures. The second, shame cultures. And the third would be fear cultures. So guilt cultures, which emphasize innocence, most commonly in Western countries. Shame cultures will emphasize honor, most commonly in Eastern cultures. And of course, the fear cultures, they'll emphasize power, which you'll find most commonly in tribal communities. So let's just look at these a little bit more carefully. The first cultural group is guilt culture. You know, Western Christians coming from a guilt culture typically use legal terminology when sharing the gospel. You know, we use words like judge, works, punishment, and debt. These terms can certainly be found in scripture and may communicate just fine to other Westerners as well. But to the vast majority of people in the world, those metaphors are sometimes a little unhelpful. So many people hardly sense personal guilt, and so they don't seek forgiveness from God. The second group is the shame culture. You know, they rely upon community pressure to guide social behaviour. Members of these cultures preserve their honour, their reputation in the community by adhering to the group's expectations. They avoid the shame that could result in exclusion from the group. Since honour and shame come from other people, they're inherently communal. You know, honour and community are top values in these cultures. So relational words such as mediator, perhaps disloyalty, adoption and approval can be used to explain the gospel quite nicely for this particular culture. You know, typical points I would try to incorporate when showing the gospel to someone from a shame culture would be things like, you know, God wants to honour you as his child. He created us with glory and honour to live in his family. So there's an idea. Another one would be, you know, but our disloyalty disrespects God and brings disgrace. We are now spiritual orphans separated from our father. And that will make a lot of sense to a lot of people from that type of culture. Another idea would be Jesus's disgraceful death covers our shame. The cross restored God's face and mediates reconciliation. We are adopted as worthy children of a new inheritance. Uh, and another idea would be, you know, so to have harmony with God, you must give allegiance to Jesus, receive God's gracious welcome into his family and live under his name. Stop boasting in your own honour and receive God's honour. These are quite helpful access points. And then that third cultural group would be the fear culture. You know, people from fear-based cultures believe that invisible spirits inhabit the physical world. And these spirits are responsible for most of the good and bad things that happen to them. They work really hard to manipulate or appease these spirits so that they can be safe and successful and happy. So these magical practices can include things like burning incense, wearing an amulet or casting a spell of some description. That's what people from those types of cultures will typically do. Since life is viewed as a perpetual spiritual battle, the language and imagery of warfare may resonate better with people of fear-based cultures. You know, words such as deliverance and healing, darkness, protection and blessing. Well, they can really help a great deal to explain how Jesus delivers us from spiritual bondage. Typical points that I would incorporate when sharing the gospel with someone from a fear culture would be things like, you know, God is the sovereign king. He created people to rule his entire creation and experience his spiritual blessings. Now, that would really resonate with them even though they may not believe in this particular God that we're talking about. Uh, another idea would be, you know, but we have rebelled against God's rule, so we live in bondage to Satan. We're weak and afraid. Another access point would be, Jesus is the warrior who conquered evil powers to release the captives from Satan's dominion. 
Jesus restores God's power and blessings to us. And another idea you could use is where you can say, you know, you must know Jesus to access the divine spirit and overcome the power of sin and Satan. Jesus alone, not rituals or magic, provides us with peace and protection. These are really helpful access points for people from a fear culture. So that would be very helpful in that first step to understand different cultures. A second uh, element would be to contextualise the gospel. You know, for evangelising cross-culturally, we must learn to use different metaphors so people can better understand salvation in Christ. But it's, of course, useful to understand how metaphors actually work. You know, we use metaphors to organise and explain reality, I suppose. As an example, consider the meanings of, you know, these sorts of metaphors that we hear quite often. He's a rat. She's an angel. You're my sunshine. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? A metaphor borrows knowledge from something concrete to explain something that's quite abstract. You know, time is money. Life is a journey. Now, metaphors are great for explaining life. How else could we explain abstract ideas like God or salvation? We use earthly language from our everyday experiences to communicate spiritual realities. You know, when we say things like, I was lost, God is a rock, the church is a body. You know, metaphors saturate our theology and can quite often paralyse our cross-cultural evangelism as well. Of course, Western Christians favour judicial metaphors. So again, as mentioned earlier, we use legal language to portray salvation as a big courtroom scene, perhaps. God is a just judge. You know, we're guilty of violating the law. Jesus paid our penalty and satisfied justice. We're forgiven of our transgressions and made innocent. Christians like Augustine, Luther and Calvin, they were educated as lawyers. So it makes a lot of sense they use legal imagery to communicate theological truths. So that's why we're very familiar today in Western cultures with terms like law, transgressions, judgments, appeasement. You know, a judge determining between right and wrong, rules and acquittal, correction, condemnation, innocence, penalty, sacrifice, individual punishment, forgiveness. You know, personal, merit or debt, payment, commands, wrath, guilt, sacrifice. You know, we're talking about justice and pardon and works. But what happens when we use legal metaphors to share the gospel with someone from a tribal culture where there are no courts? Wouldn't other biblical metaphors be more appropriate for explaining how we can know God? For evangelizing cross-culturally, we must learn to contextualize the gospel by using different metaphors and new vocabulary so people can better understand salvation in Christ. A third key to help us in cross-cultural evangelism, communicate clearly. You know, Muslims are taught from childhood that God has no son. Hindus deny there is, there is one transcendent creator who grounds all existence in morality. Secular humanists think religious truth is relative. So whomever we're speaking to, we must define our terms ever so clearly. With Muslims, we unpack what the Bible means about God's son. Not that Father and Mary physically produced offspring, you know, like Zeus and Danae from Greek mythology, but that the eternal image of the invisible God who pre-existed the universe came down himself and took on flesh. You know, with, with Hindus, we work to explain a moral universe, one where good and bad are defined by God's character and his revealed will. There's no use, no use talking about sin in terms of Romans 3.23 or pointing people to the Son in John 3.16 unless and until we've unpacked these heavy concepts. 
In multicultural settings, we must, as Don Carson has said, start farther back in our evangelism to provide more of the Bible's storyline for the good news to cohere. So we have to unpack more of the doctrine of God and thus of the Son to, to a generation that knows nothing of the Trinity. You know, in the recent uh, season of ministry, our GCS team in Pakistan have been trying to move forwards a new water well installation project in an impoverished colony in the outskirts of, of a city called Lahore. The objective is to bring clean drinking water to those in need. And in the process, our team have been offering living waters as they engage with the local community, sharing that gospel message in words. You know, a vital part of the process involves meeting local officials to obtain permission for the project. And in one particular week, our team members dialogued with a local Muslim imam in the city of Lahore. The opening statement was a 20-minute survey of Old Testament theology leading up to the life and ministry of Jesus. You see, unless the listeners grasp the storyline of the Bible, the significance of the atonement would be lost on them. This is simply clear communication we're talking about, which is all the more important when we're living among people who are biblically illiterate and inoculated against a biblical worldview. A fourth key to help us in our cross-cultural evangelism is proclaim the gospel. James teaches that God brought us forth by the word of truth in James 1.18. Wherever we are, the agent of regeneration is biblical revelation, read and proclaimed. This is why in our evangelism, our goal is to proclaim the gospel message. And if the person can read, our next goal should be to study the Bible with them, regardless of their culture. We hear the term friendship evangelism, which is increasingly popular across the world because of the wrong impression that we cannot or should not directly and clearly communicate what the Christian message is, but rather we should allude and insinuate until the friend shows an openness to hearing more, perhaps. You know, let's all keep our fingers crossed, you know. You see, the problem is that friendship evangelism emphasises that we must earn the right to speak the gospel to another person. But as one fellow evangelist in the Middle East told me, there's a danger of too much friendship and too little evangelism. I think excessive concern about context and techniques will tend to overshadow the command simply to preach the gospel. That's why so many missionaries have become glorified social workers instead of actual gospel proclaimers. So please be careful on that one. And a fifth key to help us with our cross-cultural evangelism, use the local church. Whatever continent you're on, the church is a gathering of people who are indwelt by God's Spirit and who gather weekly for preaching, teaching, worship, prayer and fellowship. Paul expected the weekly assembly not only to build up the believers, but also to convict non-believers who attended, as we read in 1 Corinthians 14.25. Now, over the years, several people from restricted access or closed countries have quietly attended our meetings and church gatherings, or even walked into our training sessions during the week and asked to learn about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Or they've contacted a local GCS team operative, identified their religion, and asked to meet with someone to consider the claims of Christ. It's absolutely astonishing. Of course, we're all too happy to oblige. Not to pressure anyone, but to offer them friendship, true and clear explanation of the gospel, and the opportunity to observe the three-dimensional display of the gospel through a gathering of believers in a local church. In many of these cases, people were born again and joined together with us. They not only heard and understood the gospel, but they also saw how the power of Christ changes individuals and influences entire communities that have little in common except Christ. 
The church, then, is the confirming echo of the gospel that is being proclaimed. It is through that community that a person can then go on to be discipled. A vital thing to understand here is that the gospel, it's foreign to all cultures. And it's true that multiculturalism poses great challenges for evangelism. However, regardless of where we're from, we've got to remember that we only have one gospel to share. There aren't different varieties of gospels. There's only one gospel. And that gospel message is foreign to all of our cultures. For all our diversity, we're still sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. In need of one remedy that only Jesus Christ can secure, the forgiveness of sins. And so, friends, as Christians living in a cross-cultural society, we must be centred on scriptural truth that will slice through all manner of cultural and religious barriers. And to do this effectively, we must understand cultural background, contextualise the gospel, communicate clearly, proclaim the gospel and use the local church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review to help others find our podcast. At GCS, our mission is to communicate the gospel message relevantly to every person in the world. One way we do this is by providing practical resources to help you grow in your faith and present the Christian faith across different cultures. You can find out more about our resources at www.greatcommissionsociety.com. If you would like to donate to our efforts, be sure to contact us, or you can donate online. GCS is a listener-supported ministry and is chaired by a board of directors in Edinburgh, UK.